So we're here today with Mr. Josh Satin for the, our second interview. Thank you so much, Josh, for coming on the Golden Hour podcast yet again. Happy to have you. Dave, I am so pumped to be here. Thanks for having me back again. Uh, I'm looking forward to chatting. So your podcast was actually one of the top performing shows of all time. Um, honestly, uh, you have some really amazing fans and uh, people in your community really seem to eat up the podcast. So thanks for sharing it too on your social media. That definitely helped uh, boost it up. But you've got your own podcast now and you've been really active on it. Tell me about that. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, it was, um, I, I obviously really enjoyed it and I was really appreciative of you taking the time to have me on the show and, you know, let me tell my story and what I'm doing and stuff and share what I'm doing with your audience. So that was really cool. And yeah, I got a great feedback. I got a lot of great feedback from posting it as well from my audience. People were really excited to hear me talk about, I'm always talking about farming stuff. So people yeah. were excited to hear about sort of behind the scenes a little bit and hear a little bit more about what I've been doing and also have me interviewed about not farming stuff, I think is really interesting. <laughs> um, yeah. Like, you know, talking to people about things other than their main their main thing. So yeah, so I uh, basically restarted my second YouTube channel, which I started last year, and then I was way too busy with a whole bunch of other things. I didn't really like the direction it was going. So yeah, working on that project now too. So not a podcast, but uh, a YouTube channel. But I do a lot of discussion video podcasts. I don't even know what to call them anymore. So there's a there's an element to that for sure, but uh, we can talk more about the channel. But yeah, there's uh, I'm kind of running two different things right now. What's the name of that channel? I'm gonna pull it up. Content on content. Content on content. And what's kind of your direction for that for that channel? Yeah, so it's you know it's really based on videography, filmmaking, and content creation and that kind of stuff. And I know that there's so many channels about that. And so you know, I think anytime you start a channel um, and want to grow on YouTube, you kind of want to look at, you know, what's out there and sort of find your little slot in there. And I did that same thing with the with the farming space when I started my YouTube channel. Granted, it was way less crowded than, um, you know, content creation. But for me, when I had the farming started the farming channel, I had been taking and absorbing so much content from YouTube about farming. And so I kind of knew it was out there. And I also just wanted to give back because I'd taken so much content and information and knowledge from the other creators out there that I was like, all right, now I want to give back to the community. That's great. And as, yeah, man. And so like, as I progressed through uh, my journey on that YouTube channel, I became really into learning how to become a better videographer, storyteller, mm -hmm. content creator. And so I just got sucked into the whole world of content creation on YouTube and learning how to be like, buying cameras and using them and like all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. And, um, I was just a consumer of that content for years and now I'm kind of like, okay, I feel like I have something to offer and I want to give back too. And totally. So that's sort of the motivation behind it. Cause I'm an, I'm a teacher naturally. Um, I taught high school for five years before, you know, that was a couple, um, careers ago, but yeah, I think that's the big thing is I want to sort of give back and, I'm not gonna be doing like beginner content because that all that content's out there and people have done a great job and that's not where I'm at right now. So I'm kind of sharing, I kind of say like mid to high level kind of stuff. Um, mm -hmm. Some gear stuff too, because I use gear and I wanna share what I've experienced and it can be helpful for people. But you know, a lot of it is, you know, about videography and content creation and I'm trying to interview uh, other creators as well to let them share what they know and, and what they are good at because there's some amazing creators out there. And as you know, I've gotten to know more people in the content creation space outside mm -hmm. of farming. I'm just blown away. Like everyone is, oh, man, there's so many cool people out there and 
Yeah. I think if we all share, we're all going to get better and everyone's going to benefit from it. So well, that's kind of seeing... how I feel about <laughs> feel about that. That's awesome, man. I see some of my friends on here that you've interviewed, um, Chris Brockhurst in particular. And uh, you can see my mouse kind of hovering over the subscribe button. Here it goes. Three, two, one. Boom. You got it. And I'm going to do that bell notification. Everybody do the same. <laughs> content on content. Let's get you up to, I mean, you're you're slowly but steadily growing your subs. Um, let's get you up to 5,000K by the end of the year. Let's see if that can be done. <laughs> oh, man, that'd be crazy. <clears throat> that'd be crazy. And it's funny, Dave, because, you know, my other channel um, is so much larger. And it's been so humbling to start a new channel and remember what that's like. And yes. I had a very weird journey with my other channel. Like, it, it grew very, very quickly. Yeah, I remember And so it's that. been very humbling and very... I don't know, weird to, to start over and to be in a completely different niche where I don't know any people. I don't, you know, I don't know what's going, you know, I'm not part of that community and slowly getting to know some more creators and being part of it has been, has been awesome. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, <clears throat> last time we talked, it was like right after I left Indie Mogul basically and moved here to Nashville. And by the way, I don't know if you can see in the video, but I got a, I got a nice little Nashville cup here with the guitar and the um, all that I have face only on, so it's not going to autofocus on it. Oh, there you go. Actually, you got it. You got it. I guess it saw a face on it, but anyways. Um, and I was thinking I would just get back into maybe gear or do something different, but it's taken me a year to figure out what I want to do. And here we are uh, about to come up at the end of this year and I still haven't posted another video. So, um, just the podcast, but it is, I, I would imagine it's humbling to like start fresh. And that's kind of something I've been nervous about is just starting fresh because everything that I've done, Kinotika was paid for by another company and then Indie Mogul was already in existence. So I already kind of had that built-in audience. So what what has that been like starting fresh? If you can just elaborate on that, some of the things that you've enjoyed and then some of the things that have been a little uh, hard uh, to get back to the beginning stages of a new channel. I think the biggest thing is just when you post a video and you don't see views coming in, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> you're used to a certain cadence with your channel, like, you know, so many thousands of views in the first so many hours or in the first day or whatever the whatever the sort of metric is that you go by. Um, and it's just it's just very different because you're just used to certain growth, certain expectations and stuff like that. And so that's I think that's the biggest thing. And, you know, having other social media presence, like other YouTube channels, Instagram, whatever else you're on you'll get some spillover from there, but not nearly as much as you think. Like, that's the scary part. You're like, oh, maybe I'll get like 10%. It's like, yeah, right. If you get 1%, <laughs> you'll be lucky. You know what I mean? Well, it's because so, it's a it's a completely different niche altogether, right? I mean, you do have yeah. some people in your niche that are interested in that, but it is such a different thing. So you're starting a new audience. Yeah, and the other part is the, um, you know, the imposter syndrome too. And I think that's that's real for pretty much anytime you're like presenting information about a topic. Like mm. I think there's a lot of times where people have topics that are similar, but like for me, like I'm going from farming channel, which, you know, people can obviously see, I know what I'm doing with the camera and the editing and stuff, but then I'm here talking about cameras and content creation. And I feel like I've experienced so much in the last two and a half to not even three years yet. Um, that it's really been helpful for me to be able to share that experience because I think there's a lot of content creators out there creating content about videography and filmmaking and stuff. And it's like most of their content is about that. And it's like, well, I have all this other work that I, I'm still doing. And I'm like, well, this is what yeah. I actually do. Sh shooting short documentaries and instructional videos and stuff. So it's really cool to have that as like a separate 
thing that you can see and, uh, you know, you can see what I'm working on at the same time. Well, I think that's, that, that's true. I mean, obviously your Josh Satin, uh, Josh Satin YouTube channel, you're about to hit 2000 or 200,000 subscribers. Um, and you've continued to just bang out some great thumbnails, great titles. I've noticed you've cleaned everything up even more than last time we checked, uh, on the channel. And it's been really fun to watch your growth. I've been following you, uh, on Instagram mostly, um, because I've just, I just haven't really been in the YouTube space this year, but, uh, how has it been on the main channel for you in the last, you know, I guess we talked maybe eight months ago. How, how has it been in the last eight months? I think it's been hard for everybody on YouTube from what I hear, uh, this year has been, you know, with the changes that have happened at YouTube and views being down. And I think it's been tough for morale, I think for creators, because they're sort of putting out either the same quality work or even trying harder and getting less results. And I think that's been hard on me because, you know, you obviously are getting less traction, less revenue, those kinds of things. I also decided to change my posting schedule. I was very rigid about posting two videos a week and I switched to one video a week a few months ago um, just because I didn't have, I, I couldn't keep up with it. And so that's been a big change yeah. for me too is, um, you know, posting less often, but I think I'm almost at 300 videos on that channel. So that's awesome. there's a lot of content on there. <laughs> <laughs> a ton of content. And, um, I think the maybe maybe I can speak to this because I've been out of it now for almost a year and uh my perspective basically now has been that I I'm grateful for this year because I definitely um was really spoiled because I realized that over this last year I realized that I really was doing what I loved every single day and there were parts about it that sucked you know it was hard work um, but at the end of the day, the, the baseline of what I was doing was a ton of fun and a huge, ridiculous privilege to do for a living. So, um, you know, you're doing the farming, you're doing the YouTube videos, and you got this other channel too. I would imagine you there's, you, there's enjoyment in all those things, otherwise you wouldn't do it. So um, that being said, you know, it has been a crazy year and... I don't know. I guess I think a lot of people are going to TikTok. <laughs> I think a lot of your viewers are, I don't know, maybe not your viewers particularly, but I've, I've heard that YouTube views, uh, like TikTok has basically surpassed YouTube's average view duration. Like on average now, people on TikTok are watching 50 minutes a day on TikTok. That's insane. That's crazy. I know. I know. <laughs> I hear that. I hear those, those reports and stuff too. And I think there is, uh, I, you know, I know other creators that are pushing that direction and even in the like gardening farming space yeah. and are doing really well because most people are not going there. So if you want to be there, you're probably going to be one of the few people on there for in my, in like the farming gardening space. Yeah. Have you thought but, about um, it or? Yeah, of course I thought about it, but I think my heart is not in short form content and That's you know, okay. you're, I think there's, there's people that want to follow the trends and there's people that want to, um, you know, grow your channel, get the most views, the most audience, the most, that's never been my motive. Like from the beginning with my channel, I've always kind of made what I thought was valuable for people. Yeah. I know we talked about this, I think the last time I was on your podcast, but I, I feel very strongly about that. And I think the video length is the video length that it needs to be. Yeah. And a lot of times I just make the video however long it needs to be. So if it's 32 mm -hmm. minutes long, it's 32 minutes long because that's how long the video needs to be. So yeah, and that's just kind of my take on it. 
you're telling you're telling stories. You're a real storyteller. I mean, you can tell a story in 15 seconds, but it's a different kind of story that, than you can tell in 15, you know, or 10. Um, and I, I was actually having this conversation with my friend Jevin Dovey the other day about just kind of the longevity of some of uh, the YouTubers that, that we know in the tech space, like obviously like Marquez and uh, I Justine and Sarah Dietschy. You know, they're not, if you really analyze like I Justine, for example, she's she would be considered almost like a celebrity in terms of her fame because uh, she's been around for so long. But her views aren't like astronomical. In fact, compared to a lot of other tech reviewers, she's not necessarily performing much better. But everybody knows who she is. She's always there. Um, she continues to get hired to promote products because everybody knows who she is. Um, and she just has a ton of fun doing it. You can tell with every video that she makes. And she posts so many videos too. I mean, especially during October, I think she posted like maybe 10 videos or something, but, um, you know, like I have a lot of respect for those kind of long-term creators who've been on the platform for, I mean, she's been on it since probably 20, what, 2010 or something like maybe even earlier, but, um, so this is a long game that we're playing on, on, uh, social media content. And, uh, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Do you, do you ever think about that? Like this, this is just a long career that you're a part of and, you know, some of these up and downs are just part of it. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about this lately, <laughs> actually, <laughs> uh, as the farming channels getting up there in age and there's so much material on there, you know, I think a lot about like, what does the next year look like? What are the next two years look like? Um, do I cr keep creating the same style of content? Like what, you know, what else do I need to show on the channel? What else can I share? And so I've tried to do as many, you know, short documentaries as possible. I've done a lot. I did a fair amount this year as much as I could. And I'd like to do more where I'm behind the camera and I'm showing other people's stories because I think that's really powerful. And I actually really enjoy doing that as well. I don't need to be in front of the camera. In fact, I really enjoy being behind the camera as well. But yeah, I think <clears throat> the long-term goal, it's like when you start a YouTube channel, you don't, you have no concept of what direct you're like, you get all excited. You have a bunch of video ideas and, and a yeah. topic, and then you don't know where it's going to go. Sometimes it, you know, <laughs> you do 20 videos and then it's in the can or, you know, you're, you know, doing this a few years later and you're like, well, do I want to still be doing this? Or, <laughs> yeah. you, you know, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but I, I do look at those YouTubers that have been around for a long time and think like, yeah, there, it's like a career for them. And like, I don't know how long I'm going to be doing this for, but I, as you, you were saying before, like, it is awesome to be able to do this and make money from it and yeah. do what you love. Like that's really special. And I don't take that for granted at all. Like it's really, it's a lot of fun. I think you got something here with the other channel too, because you're coming in with the, like you already said, but I'm just kind of reiterating, but um, you're coming in with all the experience of having a successful channel that's in a different niche altogether. So you kind of have this built-in B-roll and example footage that you can use um, on the creator focused channel, you can say, here's what I did. This is how I did it. And you can see by the results that it worked, you know? Um, so that's, that's kind of cool. I mean, it's obviously more work for you. Um, <laughs> so you kind of have to figure out if, you know, have you considered hiring somebody or like you said, I guess you just knocked down one, you're doing one video for the farming channel and then maybe one for this creator focused channel. Is that maybe what you're doing now or? Yeah, well, first of all, that you know that channel's not monetized yet, so <clears throat> that's my first goal is to get the channel monetized so that I'm not working for free. Um, <laughs> I think that's going to be 
a challenge. I didn't realize how hard that was. Like it really is. Like yeah. I think a lot of us maybe forget. I told you before, like my journey was very weird for my other channel. I got monetized in two months. Yeah. Um, because I had a viral video, but you know, this is going to take a long time and it's a grind. So I'm putting out two or three videos a week just to try to like crank through this initial stage and, and sort of build the library up because I'm a big yeah. fan of searchable content. Yeah. Hold on. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. You just kind of, you just stopped and I was looking at your channel, looking for something to talk about. <laughs> Great. Now I'm going to have to edit this. Sorry, Dave. <laughs> okay. So, uh, I'm kind of, I was analyzing your channel as you were talking and oh, it's all good. I'm I, looking I think at another thing. I go ahead. I was gonna say one other thing about, you know, because of my farming channel background and, and that, in that most of the content creators that you watch about content creation, videography, filmmaking, yeah. they're videographers or photographers. Like I come from, <laughs> I don't have that background whatsoever. Like I learned on the job, you know what I mean? So my, sure. my experience is just very different, I think, than, than a lot of the people that I watch but I think that that's, kind of content. I think that's good. That's kind of been what I've been rambling on and on on this podcast last year. And what I was learning, like, I, I don't know. I, I felt like the indie mogul thing for me was kind of like I got a little taste of what it's like to be on the, at that level. Uh, you know, 1.3 million sub channel, uh, name recognition and all that. And I got a little taste of it and I'm like, this is a weird niche because it's like a meta universe really of like we make videos and we make videos about making videos. And the reason that they look good is because we all make videos for a living, but then it becomes a living to make the videos about making the videos. So it's just this weird cycle of like, I have to make the production value really good because the people watching it have like a standard but that's not at all what the mass market on YouTube cares about. And so you get all focused on the gear and the audio and then you kind of lose track of like the story. And so you got to like try to get good at that. And then you got to play the YouTube algorithm. But then this is a small niche, like when it's all said and done, like there's really not that many video professionals out there. So you're talking about spending all this time on the production for 10 or 20,000 people if you're lucky. And then, you know, so, but you look at like Peter McKinnon, he really kind of branched out and he did like photography and video stuff. And it was also a little bit more baseline, a little more digestible for people who may be considered beginners or even just people who are generally interested in it. Um, you know, and then you have people who get into drone stuff and, you know, but I just think, over the last four years, there's become so there's so many other people doing gear and camera stuff that it, it is a challenge um, to kind of get out there. You kind of have to come up with a unique angle. And for you, you already have that built in. The fact that you have this successful farming channel, that's your, you, you're saying it earlier. It sounded like you're saying it in a negative way, but I think it's a positive thing because it's actually different from everybody else. <laughs> so uh, I agree with you, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I think I'm excited to follow this journey. I didn't know it was a separate channel. I just kind of saw you posting stuff on Instagram. So now I know I've, I've subscribed and I will be watching just so you know, <laughs> Thanks, uh, Dave. a versus B always works. Well, put the dollar signs on the thumbnails. Uh, that's what I found at least on Indie mogul and uh, Kino Tika. So turn your face purple for $600. That's a funny <laughs> video. 
What's yeah, that's that the problem about? with the speed booster, the Canon uh, C70 speed booster. Okay. Um, this is a good segue, I guess. All right. I know you want to talk about cameras a little bit, so. <laughs> Speaking of after cameras. After we just like said, it, let's not talk about cameras. Let's talk about cameras. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. So last time I talked to you, uh, you were all on the Sony train, which is fine. I mean, the Sony train's great. It's a great train to be on. The A7S Mark III is an amazing camera. Uh, you, I think you bought the FX6. Is that right? For a little while, yeah. Little I while. didn't keep that very long. Yeah. And then I may have had the C70 when we talked. I don't remember. You don't have that anymore? No, I still have it. That's what I'm using now. Okay. But okay. I think I had it when we talked. Yeah, you, yeah, definitely. And you were asking me about it, and I was like, yeah, it's pretty good, you know. But <laughs> now you're using Canon. So what's what's up? You're on the, the Canon. Yeah, I just... Man, there's so many good cameras out there, Dave, and I want to play with all of them. <laughs> They're all like, good. I'm just... They're all good, and um, at this point, when you get to a certain level, after you spend a few thousand dollars on a camera, like they're all amazing. Like there's such yeah. small little intricacies that you know that are gonna make or break it for you because you know as you use a camera more, you're gonna be more comfortable with it and want certain things that make your life a little bit easier. But you can make anything work, you know. But I shot Canon um, after my first bunch of videos I shot on my phone. I was shooting Canon. I shot a lot of different cameras to try to figure out what I liked and what I I was trying to learn everything. So I was going through cameras all the time, buying mm-hmm. and selling gear and trying stuff. And I was shooting on the on the R. I shot on the R like I don't know how many videos I shot on that camera uh, in 2020. And I really want to jump to 4K, and that camera is just really hard to do 4K on. And so. Yeah. With the R5 and the A7S3, I made the jump to Sony and, you know, it just made more sense and shot Sony for, I don't know, maybe nine months or so um, mm-hmm. and really enjoyed the system. Like, it's really complete. Um, the, you know, the camera, the A7S3, FX3, those, those are incredible cameras for the money. Like, oh, yeah. mind-blowingly good. And I just, you know, I missed Canon. I missed the colors. Um, and, you know, that's <laughs> totally subjective, but... Frankly, when you sit down and edit it and you're looking at the screen, like you're going to prefer one or the other. Like there's no way around it. Yeah. Um, and I got good at working with the with the um, the Sony footage. Like, you know, S-Log3 is awesome on those cameras. It really is. But the end of the day is I really wanted a cinema camera. I was ready for one finally. Um, I just wanted built-in ND filters and XLR inputs and oh, yeah. <laughs> shutter angle and all that stuff. And I overlooked the C70 at first because it's not full frame and knowing what I know now, it doesn't matter. But then I was like, oh, I must have full frame because that's like everyone says you should have full frame. And so I overlooked the C70 mm-hmm. for that reason. But once I started looking at it again, because I'm just like nerding out on cameras, I realized how amazing that camera is. And so that was the big motivator for me to to be back with Canon. So yeah, I'm, I'm using nice. the C70 um, and on an R5 as well. And I'm kind of using both of them and trying to figure out yeah. which one for which situation. Um, but the C70 image is just incredible like the the dgo sensor on that camera oh yeah there's no noise anywhere the dynamic range is insane like you can you can be really lazy when you shoot with that camera and (laughs) the image still looks really good why do you think i have one (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i've been using it almost every week i mean i use it on the podcast obviously but that's a very very low use case um i you know i wouldn't recommend it just for a podcast i mean it's great but it's overkill for a podcast but uh, for my jobby job that I've had this last year doing courses and promotional videos for my cousins who have a photography business, it's just been phenomenal. It's like a, a true workhorse. I record six or seven hours a, on a shoot. Like I'll go out with them on a wedding and film behind the scenes. And I just shot a wedding on Saturday with it. And I, I've got three batteries and that's enough for the whole day and 
two 256 gig cards and that's enough for the whole day and the built-in NDs are wonderful. The easy rig is what I use f with it. Um, so that gets all the weight off, which is nice. The only thing that I hate about it, and you agree with me because you made a video about it, is the screen. The little flip screen is very flimsy and kind of wobbly. And I've already started to see it um, get loose. Um, so I'm curious to watch your video, actually, because you have a video called Canon C70 LCD screen, how to fix it. <laughs> Yeah, you send it back to Canon and they fix it for free. <laughs> okay. um, no, that's what the video is about because I saw a lot of people complaining about it. And when I bought it, I knew that was potentially an issue. And I bought it used, which I buy most of my camera gear used because I tend to not keep things very long. And so that's I don't crazy that, money that way. That's awesome um, that somebody sold it. It's only been out for like a year now. So they're out, they're out there, man. Like you can find used ones if you really hunt around. Um, you're not going to save much money, though. That's the sure. thing. Um, but yeah, I, I call Canon and they were like, I was like, I was just like, yeah, I bought it used. I've had it for a little while. It's getting worse. And they're like, yep, send it in. And they said, um, you know, the Canon hasn't come out and like had an official thing saying there's been a recall, but they said, send it in, we'll fix it and actually reinforce it. And oh. I had it back in my hands in less than two weeks. And it, I only paid for shipping it there. They paid for two day shipping back. Ooh, I should do that. I don't, I obviously don't have any shoot and not obviously, but I, I don't have any shoots until the end of like. I don't think we're shooting anything till next year, so I might as well send it out now. And uh, yeah, I mean, the, it was it was under two up, weeks, Dave. It was it was pretty easy, and it came back. Awesome. It feels great. So um, is it? They, so they it, know that it's better now. Yeah, it just feels like normal. Like feels like it's. I mean, it's still. I, I have don't have a lot of faith in it after knowing that it gets <laughs> wiggly, but but so you, far it's been holding up. You have faith in their customer service that they'll they'll repair it again if if need be. But that being said. That would make sense because uh, anybody who bought it that first maybe six months, um, which we did, I got it, I think, two months after it came out, maybe that first run has a a less enforced version of it or something. So, yeah, that's what it seemed like. Well, yeah, I mean, that's one of the downsides of being an early adopter, I guess. Sometimes you get those types of things um, mixed up. But uh, anyways, what do you uh, – did you order one of the MacBook? Pro uh, M1 Max or M1 Pro by chance? I'm just curious. I didn't. I have well, I have an M1 Mini um, that That's I do I all have. my editing on. It's sitting yeah, on my yeah. desk right here. I do love it. Yeah, I bought that and an M1 Air um, nice. that I use for kicking around the house and if I'm out and about or um, like that's little... amazing. Yeah, that's the best. It's amazing. Thing. Yeah, oh, dude, it feels so good. And like if you sit on the couch or something, it's just I wanted something super easy. But yeah, I'm using the M1 Mini. It's it can handle the, the C70 or R5 footage, like no yeah. problem. I don't make proxies or anything. And I think if I have a couple of videos I'm toggling between, like it kind of stutters a little bit. But yeah, for normal stuff I'm doing, like one one video with color grade and like it works great. Like no no hiccups whatsoever. Well, I uh, I finally got mine. <laughs> it's in this box. Which, what'd you get? One of the new the, one of the new MacBooks? Yeah, it's the uh, it's a fully loaded uh, 16 inch, four terabytes. So, oh my goodness! Congratulations, man! Yeah, it's like <laughs> it's like maximum, maximum everything all the way down except for the SSD. But um, I am very excited because with these courses that I've been doing, they're like three hour long courses. I shoot 4K, 10 bit on the C70. And then I have like five angles and then motion graphics, animations, text. Uh, that makes I sense. Take like raw images and then JPEGs and put them side by side. And it's just like, 
it's been a headache, honestly, dealing with uh, a computer with poor GPU power and uh, only 16 gigs of RAM. So I did not purchase it. My boss, who is my cousin, bought it uh, for the business, but I get to hold it. <laughs> so um, he was basically like, will this speed up your workflow? I was like, yes. He's like, all right, we'll buy it. <laughs> I was like, okay, cool. Um, so I'm very excited to play with it. I might, maybe that'll be my first videos comparing it to the M1 mini or something. Um, that'd be fun, but I'm really, really excited. Obviously the new, uh, like chassis is really exciting. The fact that I have an SD card slot again is, that's cool. Is wonderful, but you didn't get one. So I don't want to like go <laughs> on cool, and man. on. I don't want to gush <laughs> about it. And then you're like, Oh shoot. No, um, I'm pretty happy. I mean, I, I don't know if we talked about this before, Dave, but I was a PC user until I bought this mini. So oh, sweet. that was a big switch for me. Um, I've really switch. been enjoying. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, but I switched. I was using DaVinci Resolve for forever. That's right. And yep. I remember you switched the final that. cut on the M1 and I've been really happy with Good it. Choice. It's just, <clears throat> for making <laughs> for making YouTube videos like I don't think you could really beat it. It's super. Oh, just, yeah, I can I can edit so quickly. I'm really looking forward to the M1 mini pro or yes. whatever max or whatever that thing is whenever that comes out i think that will probably be something i'll have to really think about yeah because at that point then you're literally just unplugging that one and then plugging in that one <laughs> and you don't have to change anything um you just get an immediate upgrade yeah because um, i'm editing I, all my stuff on my desk and i have a big monitor so like yeah. the desktop it works great for me i've heard too that i've heard i mean at least obviously on the rumors but i've heard that the mini version of this new processor is going to potentially even be better than the the pro because they can stack it a little bit more because they know it's always plugged in and it's got better cooling and stuff so there's no batteries involved um and i would imagine it'll be cheaper too because you don't have you don't have a screen you don't have batteries so um we'll see but i've been seeing results too even with the pro like i i didn't know anything it's just the minute it was available I told my boss, I was like, hey, we need to buy this. It just came out. Just max it out. But now that I've seen all the reviews, like the Pro, the M1 Pro is fine. Like I probably would be fine with that. Don't let him hear this. He doesn't listen. So um, <laughs> enjoy it, man. Enjoy it. <laughs> we'll see. But one to request, he wanted it to be silver. I would have chosen space gray, but it's all good. Silver's cool. Silver's coming back. Silver's the new space gray for Apple, for sure. <laughs> um, cool. So you're back on the Canon, uh, the Canon bandwagon. Are you uh, considering the R3 <laughs> or anything no. else? Yeah, you're all. Yeah, I'm really look. The R3 doesn't make any sense for me. Um, I don't yeah. shoot photography really, like more than like a thumbnail or random photos. Like <laughs> yeah. that's not. That's not my thing. Like I do video. Um, I'm really excited though about the R3 because of the tech that's in that camera. Mm -hmm. Because to me, that's gonna then dictate what Canon comes out with in the future. <laughs> yeah, because totally. we're seeing 4K 24 oversampled, not overheating. Mm -hmm. Like to me, that's a big deal um, because that's been a huge issue with these hybrid cameras in general. Is these higher megapixel yes. hybrids then oversampling? to get a crisp image in 4k versus line skipping pixel binning exactly so the fact that canon can do it now without overheating means okay maybe next year it's in a four thousand dollar camera and the year after that it's in a two thousand dollar camera or maybe they just can make it cheaper right away so i think whatever they come out with in 2022 is going to be really interesting for canon 
Um, yeah, every- they're just they've sped up so much like in the last few years. Everything is a little delayed, I think, just because of COVID and all the sh- all the stuff you know going on with chip shortages and stuff. So, um, you know, that being said, the technology still is really exciting. Um, it looks like on all fronts now, you've got Nikon, Canon, and Sony just swinging big with their flagships. You know, you got the A1 with the Sony, you've got the R3 with Canon, and now the Z9 from Nikon. All of them look amazing. And at this point, if you're a professional photographer, especially in that realm, that kind of uh, journalistic uh, sports photographer who needs that just hefty um, flagship, they've got everything covered now. So um, there's really no reason to purchase a new DSLR. Um, You know, if you're still shooting on a DSLR, you don't necessarily need to change. Uh, My cousins who make a living, you know, doing photography, they're still on the 5D4, which is a DSLR. And they just, they're like, this works. We're happy. Like, uh, we don't, we don't need to upgrade. (laughs) We'd have to buy all new lenses. Like, we don't want to do that. Do you, by the way, do you have RF glass or do you do the speed booster and the EF? And based on that video that you posted, I, dude, this has been a nightmare. I've been, I've been back and forth about this. Well, it's, lenses are expensive and like, I don't use a lot. I don't use a lot of lenses. So for me, I generally have one or two lenses and, I'm good. And so for me, finding the right one is important um, because a lot of times if I'm doing documentaries, I, I'm i not bringing lenses with me out in the field. I'm not switching lenses and getting dust in there. Like I just want one good zoom that's going to do it for me. So I've yeah. tried like a lot of the combos uh, and I really like the speed booster because of what it offers um, in terms of versatility with, you know, low light, depth of field, all that stuff. But I started getting this, um, I made a video about it, which you were talking about before. I got this like weird purple circle in the center of my image when you're backlighting anything outside. And it happened to me like on my first shoot. And I was like, what is this? Like it wasn't a normal flare. And um, it's really kept me from using the speed booster. And so yeah, um, that's been a huge, um, yeah, it's been a huge downside for, for me with the speed booster. Um, because I was like, all right, I'm just going to bolt that thing on the camera with a little mount that it comes on and I have a full frame hmm. EF camera. Yeah. Like it's good to go. And now that I've experienced this, I'm seeing this, I mentioned this in that video too, that I'm seeing it in like potato jets videos and other people ah. that post videos. Um, I do show it in this video too. Um, it's, it's there. It's something with the speed booster. Cause I, I did it the same I did two different lenses uh, with the speed booster had the same problem. And then I also use those lenses without the speed booster and the straight through adapter and it's not there. So, um, that's an issue with backlighting and which I often do when I'm outside. Um, it's really nice to backlight your subject. So, um, that's something that's really been hard for me to figure out. And so I think generally I'm going to be using RF glass on this camera just because it's kind of what the camera's designed for. Um, and anytime sure. you you put other pieces of glass in your system, it can cause trouble. Um, and so it's just one of those things. Um, the RF lenses are incredible. Um, yeah, I did put a little p- clip of Potato Jet in there. Um, and he has talked about that too. So yeah, I've been using the RF lenses lately. Um, I think I'm just getting used to the fact that not everything has to be shot at F whatever, F 1.4, sure. 1.2. F2. Like that doesn't mean it's cinematic. And so- well, it is annoying. It's super annoying, though, that it is super thirty-five. Or it's it's annoying too. That is it though, Dave? Like it's annoying I mean? that they don't have APS-C lenses with R. Agreed. Mount. That's what's annoying. agreed. Because it's like okay, cool. I'll take like you're right. The 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 annoyance is not 
the Super 35 because that is a wonderful, uh, you know, sensor size. It's been the industry standard for like forever uh, in terms of, you know, 35 millimeter film, um, you know, old film cameras. And then, you know, the Red, Epic and the Ari Alexa, all Super 35. They've proven themselves to be great cameras. It's a great sensor size. I'm okay with that, but I'm spending what twenty five hundred dollars on a RF lens, and I'm only able I know. to. I'm only getting half of its capabilities, and it's bigger than it needs to be. Uh, it could be smaller, more compact. It's like give me a, a crop, give me a, a Sigma eighteen <laughs> to thirty five with a RF on it. Yeah, I went down that same uh, train of thought because I was like, all right, I'm going to get the best lens, try the RF lens. I'm like, this is dumb. I have a $2,000 lens. I'm only looking at the middle of the frame. You know, you think about like the 15 to 35, for example, it yeah, turns that's into a, a killer lens. A ma- killer lens. I, I use that on my R. I love that lens. It becomes a 22 to 52, like F4 yeah. or something. And you're like, for two grand? Like, come on. <laughs> So, <laughs> which is it is usable that's a usable range that kind of becomes your like standard zoom i guess but so that's what i've been using dave because it kind of gives you that 24 okay. 35 and 50 um it's also stabilized so i know that's what's so great about it yeah yeah um and so that was where i went and then i was like all right i'm going for the speed booster trying the ef glass and then i went into that problem and i'm like all right back to the rf lens so Still trying to figure it out, Dave. Well, <laughs> I think there's pluses and minuses. I think it's the right decision ultimately because it's future-proofing you. So as things change over, let's, you know, I, you just bought this camera and it's still awesome. So you're probably not going to get rid of it anytime soon, but uh, you may in five years. And in five years, there's going to be a C, C80 or whatever, right? And uh, it, I would imagine that it would be full frame or there's going to be other APS-C lenses, but... Those lenses will carry you through. Um, EF is a dying, it's a dead uh, system. So like Canon has actually said, we are not making any more EF lenses, period. Like everything that's on the market is stuff that's just in a warehouse. Um, so EF is officially dead. So investing in RF is the right thing to do because it is future-proofing you. Uh, it will be lens, there they will be lenses that you should in theory keep um, for decades. Um, and they are superior. They are sharper. The they autofocus are. is better. Um, yep. they're, they're lighter. You've got the IS built in. Um, they balance better on the camera because um, the flange distance is so small on those mirrorless, on that mirrorless mount. So the, the weight of the lens is actually further towards the back. A lot of people don't know this. So like it, it balances better. Um, I personally loved, I, we had the 24 to 105 RF uh, at Indie Mogul that came with the EOS R. That was the only RF that we had, so I would I would put it on here, and I would prefer it over the Turbo Booster in the same way that you were saying. Like it's just more convenient. It's the right thing to do when you put the lens on the actual RF mount. It feels correct. It's like this is the right thing to do. But that was that being said, I'm using the Turbo Booster right now with the 16 to 35 28 on it. Um, yeah, and I use it. I've never taken it off since I put it on. So. <laughs> But I actually haven't even, now that you've told me about this purple thing, I'm probably going to see it. And You're going to see it everywhere. I've seen I'm, in Facebook groups. I didn't see a lot of people talking about it, but I see people like, check out my new video I made. And I'm like, they're like, I use the speed boost and I go watch the video and there'll be a clip where the purple circles in there. Wow. So, so you'll start seeing you it have, now. It's when you have a backlit uh, scenario. 
or just really bright outside, you might sneak in. Um, and Have you tried I didn't lens hoods, and that doesn't change it. Doesn't change it. It's more of like a backlit. It's like I don't know. I don't know the optics. I don't know. I'm you know it I'm not an ref- engineer. Be- because there's a piece of glass behind the glass of the lens, it would make sense that it's reflecting inside of that thing. So you basically have a piece of glass that's reflecting some light in front of your actual lens that normally wouldn't be there. So you're getting an additional flare. Um, yeah. I mean, when I got that, I set up the tripod and then I started moving my hands around like outside the lens to try to see if I could like, yeah, it didn't make a difference, you know? Okay. Yeah. So it's an L it's an element thing that you can't undo, but clients, especially clients that I have would never in a million years even notice. In fact, they might even think it's cool. It's like, Oh, cool lens flare, you know, but <laughs> yeah, you. I mean, those are my, those are my experiences. And it was like my first shoot uh, with that speed booster. And I was shooting a documentary, which was a really cool video. I was really happy about. And I got home and I like saw multiple clips that were, that had it. And I was like, Oh Jeez. man, that's not going to work for me. So yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm going to use the RF lens. And I think really the image out of those is just incredible. Like you mentioned, it I is, also yeah. think that it can't be underrated how the lens feels when you're using it Yeah, because the lens, the RF lenses do feel a lot better in your hands. Um, they the zoom EF does better. Feel, yeah. Everything's smoother. Yeah. The tactile response is just a lot nicer. And you so have that, you really have that little them. click wheel thing on it too. I don't use it though. I, I don't use it. Yeah. I turned those off. You can, de- <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to like sell it. You can yeah, de-click yeah, yeah. them. You can send them into Canon. They'll de-click it. So you could put yeah. it on. You could put your iris on there if you wanted to. I used to put like ISO on there, like on my on my R. But yeah, on the C70, like it doesn't change. Like it's always at 800. So like I don't <laughs> even change the ISO. You know. What are you using? Did you end up uh, getting like any cool wireless setup, or are you using the Rode wireless goes for your audio, or? Um, I do have the original versions, the original Go version one. Um, I, I am a, a often boom mic on there. What's that? Uh, th- sorry, I was just saying on a thumbnail, I can see a boom oh, okay. mic on there. Is that what you're using sometimes? Just a built-in XLR mic? Or... Yeah, I often use the I have the NTG five, which I really <clears throat> like because it's small and light, and I think it yeah does really well for its price point. It's super versatile. But I've started running separate channels of audio. Like if I'm doing a documentary, I'll put a lav on the subject and mm-hmm. that. And I usually lav myself too because I talk in my my film. So yeah, um, I usually that's another benefit of having the cinema camera with the dedicated audio knobs on the back and stuff. So oh, the wonderful. lav I'm usually using is the Sennheiser AVX. Oh, those um, are great. Really, they're really. I figured I'm just gonna. I'm just at the point now where I'm just like I'm gonna buy the nice thing and then not have to worry about it breaking or upgrading or, yes. or whatever. So that's kind of where I'm at with that sort of setup. But I, I do still use the goes for, well, for things here and there. I think you made the right choice. Cause I bought two wireless go twos because you can't change the batteries and I need more than eight hours of battery life. Cause we'll do these 12 hour shoots. And so, um, so I bought two of them and both of them now have issues. Both of them are popping. Really? I hear intermittent popping sounds, um, and one of them, one of the sets, has some sort of weird. It might have just been the situation that I was in, but this has happened multiple times for me. It's almost like picking up different signals. This might be normal for just radios in general, but it was odd to me. I've never heard it before. It was almost like every time an airplane would fly overhead, I would hear like like I would hear the pilot talking or something. You know, it was like really weird. So I'm probably picking up other signals that are like floating around in the air. 
And I don't know if that's fixable, but the problem is the, the wireless go twos do have the ability to record, uh, internally or whatever. And the recording has that sound in it too. And I would think oh, that weird. I would think that I'm only getting it on the receiver end because of the digital signal, but it's actually recorded as a, on the wave file. Um, which doesn't make any sense to me. So I'd reach out to road and say, Hey, this happened. What's up? Yeah. I, I have multiple examples to show. Um, but I, I'm, I was also thinking like, should I just pony up and get, you know, the AVX? It's or- really nice. It's really nice. Um, yeah. I mean, it depends on what lab you want to get to. You can spend a lot of money just on the actual microphone, but I know <laughs> it, I originally bought that because when I had the FX three, um, it just plugs in because it has the XLR built into the unit. So there's no extra yeah. cables, which I love. But now with the mini XLR on the C70, I still have to run a cable to it. So I know. it's not nearly as clever as it was before. What uh, what adapters are you using? I'm curious because I need I need to buy some. Um, I don't remember, actually. Um, Condor I'd Blue is the only one that I know of. It, um, yeah, I think they might be Condor Blues. I think Blackmagic also makes them because it's the same right. for their, like, some of their cameras. But yeah, I think the, I might have the Condor Blue ones. The Black Magic ones, yeah, because the Black Magic pocket cameras are mini as well. So there is um, a company that makes some nice, really nice right angle ones with really thin uh, cords. Um, I don't know the name off the top of my head, but I've been meaning to pick a couple up just to keep it a little some. more low profile. Yeah, I'll I find have, that for you later, Dave. <clears throat> thanks. <laughs> I have a a mic. Uh, Asden makes it. It's I think it's the only company that makes a mini XLR um, boom just shotgun. So I, it's, it's a small shotgun mic. It sounds decent. It sounds fine. It, it sounds like a road video mic or something. Um, but it is nice. It's just all one cable. I don't need any adapters. So it just goes straight in. Uh, so that's all I use it for currently, but I, I need an XLR, uh, adapter. Cause then I could actually record this straight in, I guess. Does it power the big- SM7B? Um, yeah, it can. I mean, I'm using the cloud lifter and it's, you know, phantom power. So yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, I think out. that was another critique about the C70 was the mini XLRs, which I don't think is a big deal because like if I'm running a shotgun mic, I have to run a cable from the mic into the camera anyway. So I just yeah. use that adapter cable and that's my cable. Like it's no big deal. Yeah, exactly. It's just, you just need to have the cables. You can't just like walk into Guitar Center more than likely they won't have it. You know, well, they might. I don't know, but I don't whatever. know. Um, <laughs> well, anyway, <laughs> anyways, um, to kind of finish up our conversation, I would like to I mean, we're coming up at the end of the year here. Twenty twenty one. Give me kind of your postmortem of twenty twenty one for you. You kind of talked a little bit about it. It was it was a rough year for you in some ways, but I, I'm sure there was also some positive things. Um what were some things that happened this year on YouTube with your farm, um, just with your overall career that you can share, um, that really was, you know, memorable or something you're going to kind of take away from this year, if anything. Well, I think the last two years have been a kind of a blur for everybody. Um, and the end of (laughs) yeah, 2020, I was managing and running a nonprofit farm in downtown Raleigh. And so I left that job to restart my farm. And so, frantically rebuilt the farm and got that going and started getting income from that. And then I had a really tough summer farming wise. Um, I had a lot of pest damage and the heat and, you know, mentally like farming really takes it out of you. Um, it becomes very personal. Um, Mm. and so that was really tough, but at the same time, um, you know, with YouTube being, 
um, a little bit more of a struggle in terms of getting views and revenue and stuff like that. Um, I also started working on sponsorships more, which was great and trying to get some, you know, really good sponsors that, um, I like working with and paid a little bit better, which was nice. Yeah. Good. And then happy to hear that. Yeah. It's been, it's been hard because, you know, in the farming space, I'm dealing with farming companies like seed companies and tools and stuff like that. And like, they don't have the marketing budget that's would normally be for a channel of that size. And so, you know, it's just a challenge, but getting used to that and sort of doing that. And I think also just feeling more comfortable that I have an audience and I can kind of make what I want, even though I always did, I feel like that's been nice that I can just, you know, like there was a couple of videos that I made that I, you know, I made one, I have one coming out soon, probably before this podcast comes out, but that I didn't talk at all. And it was just like, kind of like a piece, like I'm just going to like make a video that's kind of fun and different. And that's cool. And just put it out there. So I think stretching my creativity a little bit. And I think as I've decided to restart content on content, um, being more confident in my skills and knowledge. And because of that, and it probably was pretty soon after I recorded the other podcast with you and getting to know other creators and, and having those conversations and becoming friends with some people. And that's awesome. Um, because in the farming space, um, there's only so many farmers that do this YouTube thing. And there really aren't that many of them. So it's like for me to be able to, you know, connect with them about, you know, videography and stuff like that. And, you know, yeah. it's, there aren't that many people out there. So it's been really cool to be able to, um, to even feel like even part of that community and sort of get to know some of the people. So that's been a huge plus for me. And that's awesome. it's been really fun to just nerd out on this stuff that I love so much and, <laughs> yeah. and just be open about it and be able to share and, um, you know, have fun with it because, this is like a second, this is a secondary channel for me. So totally we'll see where it goes. Yeah. Well, that's, what's so exciting about YouTube and what drew me to it in the first place was you, you find your people, you know, and it ta- it might take the algorithm a while to find them. Uh, and you have to feed the algorithm a lot of data for them to figure out who you are and who to serve it to. But once, once it figures that out, if you just continue to stay consistent, it sounds like you're very consistent with this new channel. Just keep going. Um, I, there, there's a video, Maybe I'll send you a link to it um, if you're interested, but there's a video that I have saved on my phone that's just like a compilation of uh, Mr. Beast talking, and it's just little nuggets that he's said on different podcasts and things, and it's just a little nine-minute video. It's called The Best Mr. Beast YouTube, YouTube Growth Secrets, and it's just a little compilation video, but I kind of will re-watch that maybe once a month. And just refresh myself because his kind of passion and energy for it is so contagious. And when you hear him talk about it, it's like, yeah, I'm motivated to go do it. And one of the things that I I watched it literally yesterday, actually, and um, that's why I'm thinking about it. One of the things he says is like, first off, nothing's going to happen for at least four years. So make sure that you're okay with making videos every day and working on videos every day for four years and not expecting any results. I'm like, oh, yeah, well. He's like, obviously, there's there's exceptions to that, and I guess Josh, you're you're the exception. Mr. I'm an outlier for sure. So um, just keep hustling. It's a lot of hard work, but you are gathering uh, an audience of people who love what you're doing, who are becoming a part of your community. Um, and also, one of the cool like side things about this is, uh, at least for me, it was always just being able to have these types of discussions, and I love that you're doing that yourself. And it's always like a great excuse to hang out with people who are like-minded and just talk about these things because in real life, it's hard to 
come across people that are interested in these things or have any knowledge about it. Um, and so that's why I love this podcast and why I've definitely continued doing it for so long because every week I get to talk to people interested in the things I'm interested in. And, uh, it's kind of my little, (laughs) my little escape, if you will, because in real life, uh, that's not necessarily the case. I'm usually having to educate people about these things. So (laughs) at random social settings. So, um, although I was just talking to Laura about this, my wife was like, that was one of the things I loved about living in LA was, uh, everybody lived there. So like you could drive over and hang out with, with another YouTuber and get coffee and actually talk about it. But I'm finding that even Nashville, which is kind of an industry town, like I haven't really met anybody uh, that does it. So at least not yet. That's, that's definitely one of my goals, Davis, to try to meet some people around here that are yeah. even in different niches. Like I don't care. It's just because we're doing sort of the same thing. And yeah. I felt the same way with farming because when I started farming here, I didn't know other farmers. I was learning through YouTube. I was kind of doing it on my own. Mm. And then in the last few years through the YouTube channel and interviewing other farmers that I met a lot of local people and could actually, you know, connect in person and also like learn more about what's going on here, you know? Yes. And I think that's great. And one thing that led me to wanting to do these conversations with other creators was I was doing a live show on the No Till Growers YouTube channel, which is <clears throat> another farming group that I'm involved with. And I did it every two weeks. We did a live video interview with um, people on the chat. And mm-hmm. I realized that they were so uplifting and so motivating because just to be able to talk shop with another farmer or another (laughs) content creator is really powerful. Like you get jazzed up, you get ideas, you get to share. Like it's totally, it's really cool for sure. I really do uh, enjoy that. Exactly. That's why I love doing this. So Josh, thank you for coming on the show. We'll have to have you on again in about eight months. Uh, Let's start the timer now. Uh, Thanks again, Josh. And if you want to subscribe to Josh again, we'll link it in the show notes and the description of this YouTube video. Uh, But content on content is his new one all about a lot of the things that we talk about on this channel. But if you want to check out his actual main big channel, just search Josh Satin, S-A-T-T-I-N on YouTube, and you can see all of his amazing farming content. Josh, it was a pleasure. I'll have to have you on again soon. Anytime, Dave. Uh, Pleasure's all mine.